Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, she doesn't need an introduction. She is the fucking leader of the retrovirus. She has been around since the 1970s. She is part of the cinema of transgression. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Lydia Lunch. And hello. I'm Lydia. Lydia, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show. I've had... Look, we've had Beth on, we've had Nick on, we've had Richard on, I've had Tessa on, pretty much everybody that's been involved. But the one thread that keeps all those people together is you, so it's about damn time you're on the show. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm here, I'm here right now. All good. How, how are you? Perfect, of course. So you're ramping up, you're, you're getting retrovirus back out there. Were you scared? I guess coming out of the pandemic that that you were going to bring this back. It's called retrovirus, not coronavirus, by the way. And let me just say (laughs) retrovirus retrovirus played the last show in New York before it closed down last. I haven't had COVID. I I only know two other women that of all the people I know that haven't had it. Um, I was in Europe in October for six weeks, the West coast for two weeks. Negative since 77, as I like to say. No, I'm not. I just got back from the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts, in Providence. Retrovirus did some some shows in Texas. Either I'm ground zero for the infection, or I'm immune, or it's still coming. I don't know. I'm not afraid. Or I might have had it months before they said what it was, because I was sick for two days. I never get a cold or a flu. I haven't been sick in like 10 years. I could be the virus. Not <laughs> called retrovirus or nothing. You now have a movie about you. You now have a book that you've written. It All these things, do you find like it's getting easier the older that you're getting to just, it, it, is it just effortlessly coming out of you at this point? <laughs> well, <clears throat> that's coming out of me. Um, it's, it's always come out of me. The light pours out of me, as magazine once said. Um, and, you know, I have like seven books. I've written 400 songs. I've taken thousands of photographs. It's just, I don't know. I don't even know how. I, it's, a, it's a miracle to me as well. The thing is, I'm a stub, stubborn documentarian and that I managed to somehow document all of this stuff and own all of it. And own all of it, which is a miracle. I mean, I did sell my archives. That's just the physical stuff to NYU. And I would love to sell my intellectual property rights because I really can't do anything more with what I've already done. And it would be great if somebody came along and thought there was something I could do with it because I'm just going to continue to do what I do anyway. So we just do what we do. So would you say that you're writing and capturing and just doing anything every single day? Is there something well, every oh, no, day? No, no, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you on that. First of all, I can be the laziest bitch in the whorehouse. <laughs> That'd be my own brothel. Um, I have been, by some accords, very prolific. I've written 400 songs, I've, whatever I've done. But I also love to luxuriate. Um, I think my success, Success is in, as a juggler, professional, avoiding a day job. But then again, you know, people think, 
you know, I say I work nine to five, that's 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. But it's not always uncreative things. I mean, I have to do a lot of planning. I have to find where I can take something next. You know, I basically have to be a juggler. But I don't, I'm not, as some of my friends, if they're not doing something creative every minute, they feel they don't exist. It's like, I am creation itself. (laughs) Therefore, I'm not obsessed. For instance, I don't have volumes of unpublished shit. I don't have volumes of unreleased songs. When I think I need to do something, whether it's a speech or a book or a rock band or a conceptual album or a spoken word thing, then I do it. But I don't sit around doodling and, and, and like some writers who do a 60-page outline before they write a book, I'm like, ah, that's half the book, what are you talking about? But if I have a large project to do, I find it very, very beneficial, especially, I'm, I'm talking now more about a book, whether it's an anthology, a cookbook, or, or, a, or a memoir or whatever, is if you set aside whatever the hours are, like I'm only going to focus on that from 9 to 9 a.m. to noon or 6 a.m. Harry Cruz used to get up and write at 3 a.m. I'm often up at that hour. I'm not writing at 3 a.m. <laughs> Maybe a couple of words. But I feel that if you have a discipline of time, one long second that goes on forever, if you allow it, that then you get things done. So it, I do have a discipline, but I'm not so obsessed, possessed, or compulsive that if I'm not doing something creative, I don't exist. Nonsense. I need a lot of downtime. I need to read a lot of articles. I need to binge on forensics. I need to read Scientific America. I need to lay down a lot. Alone, mostly, occasionally with someone else. (laughs) As, I guess, chaotic as your live shows can be, your... I guess spoken word from the podcasting all the way to just your spoken word on stage. It seems very prepared, but I'm really curious how prepared are you when you're doing something like that? Okay. Well, my spoken word, I mean, look, it's 90% on page and then it leaves room for improv, but I'm not up there. Even though the interesting thing is when I first started to write quote unquote, I was writing to perform. So it was a very edited, and the original spoken word shows were 10 minutes because nobody could take any. Trust me, those were already a verbal boxing, sometimes a physical boxing match. So since my discipline was writing for spoken word, which means in-camera editing, everything has to be on the page because I need to make all those points, but there's room for improvisation. With the podcast, for instance, I mean, none of the questions are prepared, but the intros are all gathered from uh, Tim and I just being news junkies. So, for instance, those are also pretty much prepared. So it seems as if I'm spontaneous. And, of course, a big part of... There's room for spontaneity, but I need the words as I wrote them because there is some kind of Brutarian poetics in the writing of it. Not to say that I don't just uh, babble on like the, you know, the queenly Babylonian I am speaking, <laughs> pontificating with poetry. Please give me a break. You know what I'm saying? I guess coming up with, with, with a live show that you're about to bring up here to Calgary, how much preparation are you doing for that then? Oh, please. One rehearsal, and it's with a drummer we haven't played with before. 
<laughs> I love it. These are, well, I've been playing with Weasel and Tim for quite a long time. Yeah. Bob Bird is off with John Spencer. So we have Kevin Shea, who's a masterful drummer. No, actually two rehearsals. We had one a month ago and we'll have one on Saturday. But we, um, you know, first of all, we know the material. And then second of all, well, especially for Weasel, there's a lot of room for improvisation, but his mastery is also in what appears to be highly spontaneous, also can be sometimes note for note what he's what he's designed into the solos. So, I mean, to me, it's always, what's a lot of fun about Retrovirus and why it's one of the longest um, creative functionaries that I've done is we can change the set. They bring something new to material that most of it was never performed live. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. And they just, because of the musicality of the members involved, add a new intensity to it. Because, you know, if we listen, we go back and we do, for instance, you know, a song from Queen of Siam, and people think it, was, it wasn't all big band. A lot of it was nursery rhymes that I wrote. And to go into one of those nursery rhymes and then turn it into this really powerful, potent explosion is just really a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Do you actually like going back to something like like the Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, like all all that all old archival kind of stuff, or do you prefer not to really touch that at this point? Well, well, look, I mean, Retrovirus is called Retro because it's a retrospective, and what makes it interesting is again, well, we we don't do any Teenage Jesus in this set. Um, is that again, a lot of these songs weren't played live or were played very short live, and nobody saw them anyway back then. So it's not like I'm doing something that I've done for 20 years. Just I might be doing something I did 20 years ago, but I haven't been doing it for 20 years because we didn't do it. So because of having, you know, a, a, a fast-paced turnover of conceptual music or spoken word. So, but I mean, some things like, you know, doing a Roland S. Howard song, like Still Burning, I mean, that's just to me, it's such a beautiful song. Or having Weasel play something that Robert Klein of the Voidoids you know, and taking that beyond is just magical. So again, half of these songs, some of these songs were never played live. Others might've been played live for a very few amount of shows. So even though Retrovirus has been going now for quite a few years, in Small Pockets we perform and it always seems fresh to me because there's new life brought in to, to you know, what was a very spontaneous or, you know, a, infantile musicality that I had and still have to some degree, which is why I surround myself with geniuses <laughs> like Tim Dahl, Wizzle Walter and Kevin Jack and others. You mentioned being a news junkie a little bit earlier. I'm, I'm curious about this because do you feel like now that that fascist is gone? <laughs> is it? Is he? Well, the, and, and that's the thing. Do you find the news right now even more fascinating than even when he was in office at this point? I am looking very forward to the hearings tonight on the January 6th insurrection. You know, the thing to me is this. As an apocalyptician, to me, it, this is the same as it ever frickin' was. You know, it's feudal times. It's still slavery. If you think $15 an hour, I don't know what the minimum wage is in Canada is. That is slave labor. We're dealing again with, you know, um, some, some states wanting to persecute, prosecute, or kill women for controlling their own freaking bodies. It's the same as it ever was. It's ridiculous. And it's this ass clown or that ass clown. And having the last ass clown in power really brought 
what the bullshit of America is up to the surface. As somebody who has always been the liver of America, trying to tell the truth about the hypocrisy of our democracy, a country founded not on religious freedom, but on religious persecution, they were called the Puritans. A country founded on the murdering of indigenous people. A country that has been in war every year, but 10 years of its existence. A country that has always been racist, although we are the outsiders. It's the same as it ever was to me. It's just, and, and the, 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 the chilling and most horrifying part is, who is going to be next? Or why are they not presenting better options? I'm not running for president. I'm running away from the goddamn president. <laughs> we would all love it if you were president. Come on now. Well, I'm president of, president of my own fan club, and that's a fan club of one. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious on your take on this, though, because the last time something, I guess, this level, and, and yes, it's always been there, I, I 100% agree, but to this level in the 1980s, you had a lot of artists stepping up and pushing back. I don't, yeah. I don't honestly see that in the way that it was back then. Why do you think that is? It was me. Well, yeah, of course. Of course it was you. Uh, but, I mean, maybe there are. We just don't hear about them. I mean, look, Jello Biafra hasn't stopped, you know, bemoaning the state of affairs. But I think, but that, but, but, but I think that's the thing. You, you, you still have you. You still have Jello. You still have the – it's, it's the but, same voices. I know. And it's, and it's less. And I, I don't know if it's because – I mean, look, the thing is there are great people. There are great journalists. There are great newspapers of which there are political – insightful, poetic dissertations about the state of the country. Maybe they were just smarter than we were and decided to go into another profession as opposed to one where your chin is always going to be gutter level to, you know, <laughs> immediate poverty, okay? That's one possibility. And I, I always think that there will be another radical overture, but then you have to look at it this way too. There have been more people protesting about more things, so they are protesting, but it also might be what's being focused on. I mean, with the with you know the abundance of everything out there, it is hard to maybe locate where something valid might be when it might just be a community organizer or an after-school program, for instance, like the Satanic Temple during after-school programs. It could just be diversified and not put in to the strict category of performance art. And also, where can you even fucking do it if you do that? Which is why most of my performances are still done in Europe. I mean, I didn't have an American booking agent for most of my career until recently when I had a rock booking agent. But I can go to Europe with anything I do. That's just the nature of what it is. I also, you know, I really don't know what the answer to that is, but that's why, for instance, we still have great literature, great spoken word and performance artists, great actionists that have already happened in history. Everything doesn't have to be happening in the here and now. That's the spoiled nature of the convenience of what we want. So sometimes you have to go back in history. Like, for instance, you have to go back to some really outlandish free jazz or like Albert Eiler to find something that just blows your mind. Or you have to go back and read even the philosophy not the perversion of a Marquis de Sade to understand 
Actually, what he was talking about was Jeffrey Epstein and the fact that the rich can fucking kill anything they want. That was the point of the Marquis de Sade. Great translations by Grove Press. You can go back to Henry Miller and see what he was saying about America in the 40s. It doesn't always have to be coming out of the mouth right now. And if there are no, what do you want to call them? Performance heroes right now. Oh, well, there's some great architecture out there. I think we need more doctors and more architects and less performance art anyway. Are you hopeful (laughs) for the future? Like, uh, of course, I know the end is coming eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll quote Kafka, there is hope, but not for us. I'm a perversely optimistic, but not about the future, not about the life of this planet, not about solutions. As a hedonist, which my rebellion is pleasure, I am not going to be depressed by the fact that I know it's the same as it ever was, that I know that until we get rid of the patriarchy, until we... Um, abolish the way governments run everywhere, not for any of the people, but against all of the people and for the few. Um, Fear of a female planet reigns supreme. I don't see much changing. We have the knowledge of what we need to do. And as individuals, we might want to do that. But on a corporate level, nothing is fucking changing. And, you know, people say, well, what can we do? And I'm not a solutionist, but there is one tiny thing everybody can do. And this is very important is, be very aware of where every single dollar you spend goes. Because, for instance, in America, mainly 11 companies own all of the food you freaking eat. So you're paying, whatever you're buying, is going into the enemy's hands. So does that mean we should be growing our own food? Well, you got to be very cautious. Recycle clothing. <laughs> yes, grow your own food when you can. But, of course, in places like Oregon, they want to tax the rainwater. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, hopeful, I'm hopeful that I will live to see another day and be laughing (laughs) in ecstasy at the mouth of the volcano, because that's just the way I am. I rebel with pleasure. You cannot beat me down. But in the meantime, I have just finished a documentary with Jasmine Hurst (coughs) called Artist, Depression, Anxiety, and Rage, of which I'm paid for my rage. I don't have depression or anxiety. And we've just interviewed 25 artists, writers, and musicians because so many people are besieged with depression and anxiety right now. And there's so many reasons for it. And so we're 99% finished, and we will unleash this soon. <laughs> and it's a very important subject. Is, is, is that going to be a feature-length documentary? or are you going to It's like- a feature-length documentary. Okay. We're 99% finished with it. We just have to add a little bit more music and, and tweak it a bit. But it's so mandatory right now. Shirley Manson is in it, which is great. Ron Athey is in it. Um, Weasel Walter is in it. There's just, and an, an Jerry Stahl, an incredible number of people speaking honestly about their lifelong struggle. And, you know, to me, people have to understand that, <clears throat> I mean, it's interesting because I've always focused on the negative in my art, but I'm still a very positive person. And a lot of people said it was the most positive therapy session they ever had, this documentary, me interviewing them. But I understand the root of depression. It's many reasons. I mean, it could just be um, nutrition, genetics, existential angst, the DNA of in our bloodline, which is a computer memory we cannot decode, of all murder, love, life, war, history. If we could, we'd go insane. And there's just so many reasons, chemical imbalance, for depression and anxiety. So 
we decided to make this documentary after the war is never over, the documentary about myself, which again, the reason I could start talking about trauma, one of the first things out of my mouth, when nobody was talking about that stuff, was at a very early age, I saw that the problem wasn't only in my house. Not only was it in a lot of houses, it was in a lot of cities, states, and countries. And most people, when they're undergoing, when they're suffering from childhood trauma, they think it's only in their house. They feel very alone. They have nobody to talk to. And seeing, seeing how expansive that was, so young, I decided, well, and I knew my situation was not the worst, but I'm going to damn well talk about it for not only myself, but other people. And hence, that brings us up now to this documentary, which will be out very shortly. I don't know if it's going to be, how it will be distributed, but we're working on that right now. It's just very important. Did you find it easy doing your documentary uh, before this with Beth? I guess easy because it was somebody that you that you've known since you were nineteen, and 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 you've been close with for so many decades. Well, I knew that Beth would have a unique take on it and want to get to the psychological reasons of why I do what I uh, what why I do what I have done, and that's most important, you know. And also, it's very different. I mean, who people have come to me before, but what maniac other than Beth B wants to try to condense 43 years of my creative life into 73 minutes? This is mind-boggling. I'm like, from the beginning, I'm like, Beth, part two, part two, can't get everything in. But it can't get everything in, but you can explain, as she very well did, what it is about. Even I can't listen to all my own recordings. I don't even know. <laughs> when I went and added up the songs I'm right, I'm like, I don't even remember some of them. I'm like, when, who, what? I had to go look them up. So it's not about that. It's sort of the essence of what I have attempted to do by being the liver of America and a confessional artist speaking about issues that a lot of people suffer from and not many people really speak as, as bluntly or aggressively about especially from a female perspective. And my targets have always been my father, the father of our country, and God the father. All three of them responsible for every fucking thing we're suffering from, from the goddamn beginning of time till now. Yes. And as a one-woman army, <laughs> fuck all y'all, okay? I'm, I'm, I mean, all of them all. Well, By I'm, the way, my group, the Sin Cells, Sin sells. The more they kill, the more we fuck or fuck you over. Watch it. How about that? See, I'm I'm glad that you're bringing this up because you were always an outspoken female voice in a very male-driven like fr from the no wave to just honestly the New York scene in general. You you had three of you. You had Tessa, Beth, and you honestly that were really pushing for that female side, and you did it above and beyond so i'm curious it's a warrior. look we once were warriors you know it's the collie in me and also at that period in new york i don't think any of us felt the, the gender issue wasn't so obvious we're gonna do what we're gonna fucking do and that's it that's it we're just gonna do it because nobody was saying no and we weren't waiting for anybody to give us the money to do it we were just gonna freaking do it you know and as and i think that more people would be happier if they could, as I have, um, integrate within myself. Why even call it female or male tendencies? 
you know, I feel that I have the, so many different kinds of either power or energy. And yes, it's female, but it's also very aggressive. And is that male? The women used to be extremely aggressive. We used to be warriors. There are some, there are still some armies of all women. Let's just say not enough. Sincels, not incels. If only. <laughs> Past this documentary, what are you working on next? Because I know anything that you're going to come out with, it's must-have, must-see, must-anything. But Well, I'm working on a three-act play that, that traverses, because everything is so similar, between the French Revolution as the guillotines are falling and as one form of tyranny is being replaced by something that appears to be, like, do you kill the killers? Does that even the playing field? Then the second act is Weimar Berlin as it's becoming Nazi Germany. Oh, we're just doing our job in the killings. And then the third act is here and now, maybe two or three years in the future. And about how as somebody who takes the, somebody who has been reasonable, my character throughout, now has no reason left to be reasonable. And Allah, Mother Nature's revenge, decides to take very perverse revenge these are my fantasies, upon the corporate kleptomaniacs and slave traders in a very unique way. Now, I'm sure this play will only be put on in Europe because why would they do it here? But that's what I'm working on. And it's interesting because I'm getting a lot of the concepts that I've always spoken about, but into a different format. Because I just can't, you know, a woman on a hill with a bullhorn, that's going to be forever. So I'm, I'm looking for another language, which I will say is play. And I've done plays before. I've done two plays before with Emilio Cubiero, the 80s and 90s. And it's just a different format. And if we think about it, like plays or opera, which I'm not a huge fan of opera, but I'm a fan of opera, say, Brecht or Viol, or when opera used to be the place where you could be the most politically outrageous, where you could really let it all out. And I just feel that I have to find you know, another format, the same way that within music, every time I have another concept, the concept of the music is a different language. Now I just have to keep finding other languages to complain about what I will not stop complaining about. And hence, again, which is why my podcast, The Lydian Spin, will continue. Because not only to complain about what's going on, mostly I'm just telling about what's going on, but to expose other people in a new collaborative format, uh, expose other people to interesting characters in whatever form of art they take in this life. And, you know, my, many of whom I've known and some who have been recommended, but we do find it a connective tissue because it's just a very important thing. I think podcasts are very important just to expose people to someone they might never have heard of. The Lydian's fit every Friday. Lloyd Kaufman is coming up. The um, head of trauma films, Toxic Event, we interviewed him. He'll be up soon. Uh, Jennifer uh, Harima of Royal Trucks is coming up, and Michael Zilka is up now. Who was Z Records, which you know released Suicide, The Contortions, Teenage Jesus, and now has Z Books, and that's all just in this month. So that's a good place to put my boundless energy. <laughs> well, Lydia, I want to thank you for coming on this podcast. You know you're always welcome on here, so thank you so no, much. No, I, I know where to get you, so you never know when I might pop in. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm very excited. Three weeks, and, and we can see each other in person, so. 
I cannot wait. I don't know if I've ever played in Calgary. I, I honestly I don't believe that you have. I don't believe I have. You know, my father was Canadian. Was he? He's dead now. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm very excited to come to Calgary. I'm very, I would love to go any place that I haven't been before, so... I think everybody is very excited for you, and this is a perfect festival for you to, to actually come play at. So, is the club cool? Is the club good? Club is very fun. It's it's at Dickens, which is it's you you got to go down like a big flight of stairs, and then it's in a basement, and it's perfect for the retrovirus. Excellent! Can't wait. Well, it's going to be a fun, loving show. We're bringing merchandise. We're just there to have a good time. Let's spread the good word. A pleasure as the ultimate rebellion. Thanks, Lydia. Thank you very much and see you in a few weeks. See you soon. Thank you for listening. Make sure to catch Lydia Lunch in the Retrovirus Sled Island on Saturday, June 25th, 1130 at Dickens. Um, And yeah, if you don't know Lydia, check out her podcast, her documentary, the resources are endless as you heard from her you you have plenty to catch up on if you if you haven't heard Lydia before and if you uh have make sure you check out this sled island show it is going to be fantastic this concludes our broadcast day 